Thank you for joining Shir and this wonderful Yom HaKahal. My topic is Hilchos Yerusha and Savaos. We're all aware of the Psukim and the Torah, which give us precise instructions as to how a person's assets are divided upon his death. Yet, we have testimony from some of the greatest Rabbanim that notwithstanding the explicit Psukim in the Torah, one who wishes to have his assets divided in such a fashion may be causing terrible disputes within his own family. I quote you from the Sefer Gesher Achaim on page Membeis. Minika Olam Lehashir Gam Lebonos. It is a custom to leave money for one's daughters as well. Misha Barosho, one who thinks ahead, Mahadeo Lahashir Lesavoso Gam Lebas. One should leave money in his Tzavo, in his will, for his daughters as well. Why? Otherwise, she may be tempted to take the money by secular court, even against the halacha, which would be considered theft on her part, aside from the Easter of our cause of going to a secular court. He tells the following very frightening story. Talmud Chacham Esher Ashir Echad. There was a... <laughs> there weren't too many wealthy Talmudic Chachamim in Yerushalayim in his time. But one such wealthy individual was the Talmud Chacham, also, Masa Vehinchel Betzavazo as Kol Ruchul Shalak Alpiyat Torah. He decided, I'll be a purist and leave everything as the Torah says. Habchor Kibchoroso, the Bchor, the firstborn boy, got twice a share. Shnei Bonav Apshutan Kibshutam. So therefore, he had a son who was a Bchor, got 50%. Two other sons got 25% each. Ulishlosh has been also Loklum. His three daughters, he left absolutely nothing. What was the bottom line? Vihinchil sinna, and he bequeathed hatred, vitachrus and competition, upirud and disunity, vimishpachto and his family, arasha omru abrios, until the people said about him, lo kedai hoya, lahashi ruchush, it was not kedai, it was not worth it to leave so much money, ulahorish sinna, and to bequeath hatred. This is not coming from some reform rabbi or left-wing rabbi. It's coming from Rav Tukachinsky, the old Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, in the Sefer Gesher Achayim, page 42 on page Membeis. Now the question becomes, given that reality, how does one go about it? There are a bunch of problems, both in terms of what one can do and in terms of what one may do. If one looks at the sources, we see that over here, a person, source number one, have a general principle, is an exception to the rule. The exception to the rule is the laws of Yerusha, Yerusha of blood relatives, not discussing the Yerusha of husband Yashnik, his wife. That is subject to Tanoim but not blood relatives. Why? It, it smacks of Easter Vahetta. We don't view Yerusha as purely mominous, as purely dollars and cents. There's a certain kind of Easter Vahetta. Chukas Mishpat is called in the Torah. Not just plain Mishpat, but Chukas Mishpat. A chok we know is Easter Vahetta. Therefore, tonight cannot work. So you can. So how do you get around the problem? That's a very serious problem. Very serious problem. Take a look in source 2. 
Ishponi Yerushalayim B'Makom Shesh Bas Biti Tiyerushalayim B'Makom Shesh Ben Lo Amaklum Here's the Mashakasa B'Torah So you have a son and a daughter By Torah, the son gets everything You want your daughter to get something It simply doesn't work It doesn't work It's a very serious problem So how do you get around this problem? It's a very serious issue What do you do? Even if you get around the problem you take a look over here in source number 5 while he's still alive he gives it away and his sons have nothing left what he did is valid because he gave it in his lifetime it's the Chacham are not happy with what he did they're not happy with what he did and therefore how do you go ra- o- overcome these two significant problems very serious how do you get around it so now one has to understand that there are laws that have reasons and when there's a reason involved in the law we have to know what the reason is and perhaps when the reason does not apply things can change somewhat for example for example the halacha that a person is not supposed to change things the Rambam says Tzivu Chachamim even your lifetime should give more to one over the other. Why? It's a Gemara Masech the Shabbos quoted by the Rambam. It says the Bach only Bechayov. Rambam says Bechayov when the person is alive implying that once the person passes away and one gives one over the other it would not be considered a violation. So writes the Bach. So writes the Bach. Okay? Now, there's a big discussion. If the reason of the Mishnah not to create kin and machlokas, it seems to me, based on the Gesher Achaim, that today it's exactly the opposite. If you leave things the way they are in Torah law, then you create machlokas. As the Gesher Achaim said, in his day, they were, had a custom of boys and girls getting exactly the same amount. And if you don't do that, you are causing machlokas. Now you'll say, but the pasuk, the opposite. We have a general principle of lo darshin and tam of the We don't go against explicit sukkim, even if the reasons don't apply. My answer is darshin and tam of the drasha. Drasha over here, it's based upon a drasha. It's not based on a pasuk mafurish that you can't change things around, and therefore you should change things around. You take a look in the Ramah. Ramah, of course, lived in the 1500s. He had an issue as follows. Very, very important. It was called a Shtar Chatsi Zohar. The Ramah was a Renaissance man up to a point. They were not going to exclude the daughters completely. They weren't quite up to equality. They were going to give a daughter, we call a half a share. A half a share, a half a share, a half a loaf is better than, than none. This was done in the time of the Ramah, which is found in two places, both in Ev and Ezer and in Choshen Mishpah. It was called the Shtar Chatzis And the Ramah writes, if you want to give your children after your death, they shouldn't fight. You write a Tzavah. It's a good thing to write a Tzavah. Don't just leave it to the end, die intestate, and have it be divided according to the straight Torah law. And the Maharsham, who lived a hundred years ago, says that the reason why Shtar Chatzis no longer applies, even though it's in the first Ramah, in Simon Resh Pei Aleph, one takes a look over here in the uh, let's see Reish Pei Reish Pei 
Aleph Siv Zayin. I think it should be here somewhere. There's a concept of Shah. Here it is. 17. We're going a little to save time. We're going a little out of order. 17. Nirelim Ashenog and Achel Dechtov Shtar Chov Lebito. Ulahasal Shemitin Lebito Chelik Chatzizacha. Yiftor Min Hachov. What does that mean? In order to get around this problem, the man undertakes a very sizable obligation. He obligates himself, let's say, for example, to his daughters, to much more money than he has, $100 million. He obligates himself to his daughters, $100 million. And then he says, he writes a will, and let's say he has a few million. So he has $4 million, he has four kids, two boys, two girls. He wants each child to get a million dollars. Okay, not bad. The daughters got a million dollars, which by Torah law they would not receive. So he obligates himself to his daughters, $100 million. And he writes as follows, If my sons or my rightful Torah heirs will in fact follow my last will and testament and will give their sisters each a million dollars, then my obligation is null and void. If, however, they don't give my daughters each one a million dollars, the obligation is valid. Then what happens then? The daughters get all the money because they're the creditors. All the money goes to them and the sons get nothing. So the sons are behind the eight ball. They have no alternative but to follow the last will and testament of their father. This way he got around it. It's a loophole. We're going around, it's a circumvention. And you'll say, do we believe in circumventions? Well, not often, but if the circumvention will enable peace to reign in the family, it's a very good idea. A very good idea. This is what should be done. Ashtar Chatzi But today that won't cut it either. You have to write a shtarach zochar sholem and divide it equally. In the Ramah's time, if you gave your daughter a half a share, she was very happy because she also got nothing. But today, they want to get a full share. Nothing wrong with writing a shtar zochar sholem. It's, it's, it's found explicitly in the Shulchan Aruch in footnote in note number 17. This is what he does. The chena minik. That was a minik. It fell into disuse. You know why? Because they wanted a full share. And therefore, you have to give a full share. This is what I advise everybody to do. You have to give your daughters a full share. But I go further than that. That's only the second spouse. A, a, a happily married spousal pair, in my opinion, all the money should be bequeathed to the surviving spouse. That means that the wife should, should write at Savar that everything should go to her husband which in most cases would be the halacha anyway. Habal Yorosh is ishto, but not completely. The Baal is Yorosh is ishto only b'muchzok, not b'roi. According to many authorities, money in the bank is considered roi, that the bank owes you, and therefore it's worthwhile even in that direction. But certainly in the other direction, a husband should write in his will, he gives everything over to his wife. So what does he do? How does it take effect? Simple. You obligate yourself to your wife $10 million no conditions just $10 million and then after 120 she gets all the money as a creditor from a halachic perspective and from the legal perspective he writes in his will that all the money should go to his wife why do we want it this fashion? the Gemara tells us that if a, if a parent there were some people who gave all their money away to their children they gave it all away I don't want it I'll give it to my children I don't need it anymore it's considered to be a terrible thing to do, a foolish thing to do, because you never know. A person never know what life will bring. And it's a very bad thing, the Gemara says, for a child to be in charge of the parent, and for a parent to have to, as we say in our language, 
come on to the children. It's a very bad idea. It's, 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 it's unnatural. It's the, it's the opposite of nature. And therefore, one should make sure never to get into that kind of a situation. And for that reason, it's proper for the husband to write the will all to his wife and take and write this document in advance. I obligate myself to my wife and in case I should survive her, this obligation is not to my wife but to my daughters. If it's given to my daughters, then it depends who, who dies first. If he dies first, the wife gets everything right away. And if she dies first, then he's the surviving spouse and the daughters get it exactly as he wanted. This is what I recommend for everybody. Why? To maintain the peace. Maintaining peace in a family, to, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important thing, as we read before, in the Gesher Achai. This is so such an important principle. Now, are there any alternatives? Oh, sure, there are alternatives. But the alternatives, each one of them, runs into a problem. We have to be honest and say, and according to one opinion, there's no need for this. Every will is effective. But how can a will be effective? The Gemara says explicitly, Ein matono misa, and a will takes effect after death. So how can it be effective? So you'll say, there's the famous principle which I'm sure you, many of you have learned, mitzvah l'kayim divrei hames. Mitzvah l'kayim divrei hames. So therefore, there's an obligation on the children. Take a look at source number seven. Yesh tema lama lokim rovas tevarov v'kaimla mitzvah l'kayim divrei hames. Here's another question. This is a Kufmem test. Who needs that? So what do you need this new Takana for? The Retirits, the fourth line. You gave the money to somebody. Reuven gave the money to Shimon and says, Shimon, listen, when I die, make sure to give the money to A, B, and C. Then we apply the principle of Mitzvah the Kaim Divriya Mace. But if Reuven dies and the money is in his pocket, we do not apply the principle of Mitzvah the Kaim Divriya Mace. So says the Tosvis. And that's how most authorities pass in the halacha. And therefore, it's not enough just to per se make a will and say Mitzvah the Kaim Divriya Mace. Because the money right now is in the hands of the individual himself. As long as it's in his hands, Mitzvah the Kaim Divriya Mace simply does not apply. Oh, Tosia Sakash, the, the very beginning of the second page of sources, Shifchos Yosoli Koras Ruach, Kofanes Ayorashin, Mitzvah the Kaim Divri Hames, to emancipate his female servant, his female slave. As Tosis, Hosan Lohosh, Biat Sholish, Midi. No one's given over, the, the slave wasn't given over to anybody. Sarach Loma, Gami Shikhur, Emancipation of a slave is different. Tos does not explain why it's different. doesn't explain why it's different. We don't know. Why should it be different? And it's, of course, relevant why it should be different to, be, to, to, to apply to our situation. Oh. So before we get into this solution of this difficulty, which will leave us problems, just go with, give all the money away in your lifetime. We said before, that's not a good idea to give away one in your lifetime because you want to hold on to it. It's a Gemara Bava Metziah, Ayin Hamid Beis, Shloshet Sogim Ve'ananenim, Kona Adon Li'atzma Otzamim, 
Akosev Nechosev Lebanav Bechayev. It's a very bad thing, but you think it's a, it's a new thing? The Shalah already says, where Isi Miktas Avas Chiesham Oshem Levom Liyamin. They're wealthy and they're older. What do they do? They, they, they care of them after they're married and they give themselves a little, a little bit over for themselves that's be enough for their whole lives. What is it? It's a shtus godol. Not a shtus. A shtus godol. That's a shalom. Why? If you're going to have to be supported by your children, it's against nature, and it's a very bad thing, and therefore such a gift should not be given. Okay, I have another suggestion. Give a gift to take effect of one minute before death. You know, in, legal, in legal language, it's such a concept. One minute before death. Does that work for halacha? At first glance, no. Why? We have a principle some of you, I'm sure, are aware of called Ein Breira. There's no such thing as retroactive clarification. One never knows the day before his death. Shuv Yomachal Lefnei Mosach Moshe says, we are taught for Kayavos, because you never know when that's going to be. You'll always do B'tshuva. But then how can it take effect if a minute before death we pass him Ein Breira? If you look at Tosin and Gittin Chafemet Beis, they say so. Now the Get Poshut in Hilchas Gittin says we don't pass like that Tosin. Because we have a concept of Shchimera, Shoach has called them Misa. He said, if it's so full, this bar we paskin, Yesh Breira. Against Rabbi Sharsh and Gindav Chafeim at base. Oh, if that's the case, you can give him Matana one minute before death. The question that becomes, how do you do it? How do you do it? You can't do it with a Kenyan Suder. The way we normally transfer things is with picking up a, a handkerchief or a pen. That won't work because the Gemara has a Masechta and the Dorim for me to work a Kenyan with a pen only if it's effective immediately. But if the pen comes back to me and I want it to take effective in many years from now, it will not work. Now, you can do it with Shtar because Shtar, as long as it's not ripped up or burned up, it's still extant and it can achieve a, a transfer much later on. The problem is a Shtar only works for Karka, for real estate. It doesn't work for movables possibly because we cannot designate them appropriately. But this doesn't work. So now you're stuck. What are we going to do now? So some say, There's a concept of starting now and ending after 30 days. So therefore, one could suggest a similar idea. Starting now and ending one minute before death. That might actually work. In Shulchan Aruch, it may actually work some say it doesn't work. Some say it can't work. But the Dogon Merivava says, you know what you can do? Guf mehayom uperos misa. This is the Gemara. It's like a kind of a trust. You want the guf mehayom, that the actual item should go now. But the peros, the profit, and the ability to manage the money and to keep any, any, any profits from it, I maintain as long as I'm alive. Guf mehayom this actually is not a bad suggestion. It's quoted by the Dogo Merivava, and the Shulchan Aruch quotes it as well. In, in Choshen Mishpat, one sees that this is a possibility, and one should consider this. Maybe, maybe it's possible. Uh, it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch, in number 16, the end of 16. Siv Zayin. 
It's a shrimp and back out. Oh, you need a kinya like a matnas bari. And therefore, what do you do? You want it? It's the third line in Siv Zion. Exactly our case. Bari Sharosa the Klachlok Nachosa Rachimosa Shlayeriu Yoshevach. You don't want your sons and daughters to have a fight. What do you do? Ferosa Lasa Seda Tzava Boda Bari. Want to write a will when you're alive? Sarach Lahaklas Bekinyan. You do it. You give over the money you want with the Kinyan. Okay. But it's not going to work. Look, it's coming now. Kinyan Lehen Mahani Imrotsa Litan Lehen Davash Shainu Biyado Oz. A man is 60 years old. Good time to write a will. Some say 50, some say 70, whatever it is. But you don't own it. You don't own it yet. You have much more possession to come into your possession later, the next many years of your life. So the Kenyan will not work. Why? So what are you going to do? Do what we call a derech So perhaps you can do it in that kind of a situation in terms of an, an admission. You would you admit to it. You admit to it. That is like what we call a trust. There are two kinds of trust, and I'm not a lawyer. There's a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust. And the question will be, what is our locking status? Look in our lock and sivav. What is it? Only connect echamisa. Sounds a great idea. So it's an irrevocable trust. That should be a possibly good idea for our situation to write a trust and there is a possibility of doing so what is exactly a trust it's hard to know is there a tax on the trust in some states it depends if it's revocable or irrevocable which means if the trust is is revocable then there's an estate tax because they see it as 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 a subterfuge it's always revocable they will, they will apply a state tax. If it's irrevocable, not. It's hard to know exactly what the status of a trust would be in halacha. Now, in, in American law, a trust is a, what's called a separate institution. It doesn't belong to anybody. Like like a company. So I don't think we can really accept the word of a company being belongs to nobody. When it comes to a trust, there's a, there's a precedent for the Gemara. It's called Tfusa Sabayas. And then we can suggest that it belongs to the trust, and therefore we can say that it's given to the trust, and thereby we're going to be able to arrange things to come out the way we want, the way we want. That's the question. That's the question. Do you need such a thing? So here's a very interesting idea which applies both in halacha and in American law. And there are many properties which couples have which are in, in joint joint ownership. For example, a house. You have a house, and very often when a couple buys a house, what do they do? They they both buy it. They buy it together. And in American law, I'm told that they buy it together, that if one party dies, it automatically goes to the second party. It bypasses the will. There's no need for a will. It's not probated. It automatically goes to the surviving spouse. Well, if that's what it is, it's true the halacha as well. There's no problem of Yerusha, when it comes to that house, the house is not subject to Yerusha. It was an understanding from the beginning that it goes from one spouse to the other upon the first spouse's death. This is a wonderful way in which we can not only avoid taxes, but you can also avoid problems on the halacha. 
and therefore, although it's a good thing to have a will, you wouldn't even need a will. And this may be true of all other types of possessions, which an individual owns jointly, either literally jointly, like a bank account. In most bank accounts, if, if, if Reuben and Rachel open a joint bank account as soon as they get married, then they can have the bank account for many, many years. And if Reuben or Rachel passes away, it goes to the other spouse. And therefore, there's no problem of Yerusha. How can it go from the husband to the wife? We know that the son's Yarshin, not the wife. No, this doesn't go to the wife, the Torah's Yerusha. It's an understanding of survivability. Whoever survives gets the, gets the uh, money. And what it really means is that when a person opens a joint bank account as soon as he's married, what's he saying? He goes to the Mr. Chase Manhattan, for example, at the Chase Bank, and says, listen, I'm giving you money. We're giving you money. We're putting money in for the next many, many years. And the understanding is that you owe us the money. Technically speaking, the bank owes you the money. That's why, according to some authorities, if the bank, you have a bank account, it's only called Roy and not Mugzok. And therefore, when it's only Roy and not Mugzok, a husband wouldn't get the Arusha. That's one of the reasons that the woman should sign a Shtar Chazi because the husband would not automatically get the money in the bank account. But if it's a it's survivability, then perhaps we should say, yes, because the deal is, I'm giving money to the bank, and who are you going to pay the money back? You owe me the money. Who, to whom do you owe the money? You know you owe the money to? You owe the money to both of us as long as we're both alive, and you owe the money, we're saying now, the day after our wedding. I went to a bank the day after my wedding, put all the checks to the bank. The day after the wedding, went to the bank. It was then on 181st Street. That's where you went put in all the money and the joint account it's still a joint account many years later and the understanding is that the, any money we put in the bank owes us jointly both of us Baruch Hashem still alive and after many 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 years if one is alive the bank owes all the money to that individual that's the deal that's, what, that's the understanding so there's nothing to do with Yerusha that's what I think not everyone agrees with me but I believe that that's in fact uh, true I found that a great rabbi from Bnei Brak of Mendel Shafran talks about it. Talks about it, and he thinks that it's. Uh, he thinks that I'm basically right, and that's very, very important. I think it's correct. Nonetheless, nonetheless, I believe it's a good idea to have this in uh, a will about this uh, as well. And the same is true of many other assets that a person has today. People have pension funds. I'm very grateful to Yeshiva University. I've been working there for a long time and I have a pension fund and the pension fund is obviously in my name only I work there my wife doesn't work there but my wife is the beneficiary so automatically if that should be the case of the order of leaving this world she gets all the money automatically there's no need for any wills, Yerusha, stars, nothing it's built in that's the understanding from the very beginning when I started to work on the yeshiva that's, that's how it happens and therefore there too I believe it would not necessarily be a need for a particular star, but nonetheless, it may be a, a good idea to do it. So, with this introduction, that people, oh, the same is probably true of life insurance policies. By definition, life insurance policy has a beneficiary. So again, it bypasses all the laws of of Yerusha. And so therefore, many things that the average individual owns, who's not a wealthy businessman who has a, all kinds of investments, then. Uh, it just automatically goes from one spouse to another if they own jointly or with survivorship built in. Now, what about the mitzvah of the kind of that we spoke about earlier? So we have this, we had this tosfus over here and we started explaining about the shifcha. We said it's it's different. 
Why is it different? We don't really know why it's different. Tosa doesn't say why it's different. But it's, it's worthwhile seeing over here that the Mordechai discusses why it's different. It's for source number 18. But the, 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 excuse me, source number 8. My man, source number 8. I'm sorry. 8. Even according to Rabbein Atam, the boy Shlishis Mitchila Lekach, Bahuda Tnushekel Libni Bishabis, or Bahuda Plona Shifchasi, also to this Koras Ruach, Shehi Biatsma Shlisha. She is her own Shlish. What in the world does that mean? What do the words mean? Let me explain to you what I, what I think it means. This is very, very important. Why is it that Mitzvah the Kaim Divri HaMais only applies if the money was given to somebody else in the person's lifetime? It's not an arbitrary rule. There has to be a logic behind it. Hey, I believe the logic is as follows. If it's given over to somebody else, the somebody else, after Ruvain dies, has the ability to give the money to the individual or individuals to whom Ruvain wished the money to go. However, if all the money is in Reuben's pocket when he dies, then the immediate possessors of the money are his children, his heirs, his sons, and therefore he said he wants to give it to somebody else, but there's no one who has the ability to enforce his will, because the sons say we wanted to keep the money ourselves. So therefore, this understanding is correct. He, Shalisha, the Shifcha, she says the, the master died, no one can control me. I'm, I'm a free person because of, he, he gave her a mitzvah to, to free her as soon as he died. You know, they talk about now in America, they all just go back to the race theory and all the old presidents they want to besmirch their reputations. Oh no, but he freed his slaves when he died. I think it's true of George Washington, if I'm not mistaken. So, so they free. They're free. There's no one that's going to get a chance to take control of them because they, they're emancipated upon the person's death. So therefore... Uh, why is this relevant to us? Because it's an amazing tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein. The Igris Moshe. Rav Moshe Feinstein claims that if this is in fact the, the lumdus, this is the lumdus of how uh, Shlishis works, watch what he says in the last footnote, last note number 21. Look what he says. He gives an example of that whether a person is going to be do it or not going to do it he says that an individual has the ability to enforce it in the following fashion if you sign a will and the will is enforceable in American law that is the equivalent of giving it over to somebody else how is that an equivalent? because the whole idea of giving it to somebody else means that that somebody else has the ability facts on the ground to give the money to the person to whom you wanted to to go to. Well, if you didn't give it to somebody else, but you wrote a will, and the will is enforceable in American law, so therefore here too, there's a clear ability of the individual who's named in the will to hold on to the money. That's exactly what the problem, which we spoke about at the beginning with the Marasham, that he said that the women would take it all the money by secular law, which they were not entitled to by Jewish law. Such a merchant opposite. Since they're entitled to it by Secular law, they're also entitled to it by Jewish law. Why? Mitzvah Kaim Devi Hamais. Ah, Hushlash Betchilo Lekach. This is the equivalent of Hushlash Betchilo Lekach. Why? Because you gave it over to someone who has control. In the case of the Shivcha, she controls her own body. In the case of the will, 
the person named in the will controls by going to secular court and accept and receiving all the money, and therefore they're entitled to the money to mitzvah the kaim divrei hames. This is what's found in footnote number twenty from the Achiezer who preceded Rabbi Moshe. That's what he says. Can't be. And the Jewish courts would appoint an executor to see that the will is followed. How can it be? You have to give it over to somebody else. Since it can be enforced by the law of the land, it's no less than that. Because he's also assuming that is not just but rather it's in order to make sure it can be enforced. Well, here it can be enforced by secular law. I haven't found anybody to say so explicitly. And that's why if a person writes a will and does not write what we call a shtar zacher shalem, which we'll discuss in a few moments, he runs a risk. You go to Bezdin, and Bezdin can decide that the will is invalid. And they'll say what Rabbi Chaim Arzah, they'll say he wasn't sure. And it's arguable that the the son is called the Mugzok, because he says, look, I can't come to Bezdin, it's all mine, and all the sisters get nothing, and it could cause a whole fight. So therefore, it's certainly advisable not to rely on the suggestion of Rabbi Chaim Moshe, which Rabbi Moshe concurred with, but rather create a, a proper uh, instrument which will see to it that the money will be given to the children equally, which as I said before, and I believe is the is the right way to go. The right way to go. Now, a shtachat zizacha, as we said, was something which was written, fascinatingly, originally was written when the daughter got married. When the daughter got married, why should we written when the daughter got married? Who cares about Yerusha when there's a marriage? Who cares about it? Very simple. Very simple. A man wants to give his daughter a dowry. He wants to give a dowry. So the Ramah writes as follows. You're marrying off your daughter. So if your sons will, if your sons, the son-in-law, will not give to my daughter a chatzizachar, which is a very big, you obviously a large amount of money, so she will get all the money as a, as a creditor, as I said before. If they give a half a zachar, then it's here with bottle and mavutal, and they're going to have to do it, otherwise they get nothing. And why would they write such a thing? In order that the people should want to marry his daughter, because they know, at the end of the day, she will get a half of, a share of, his, of the father's possessions, and you can't back out. All found in Nachlas Shiva Simon Chaf Aleph. And when is the moment of the Piron of this Chaf? Sha Achas Kodem Moso. And even if you'll say that if I want to give a gift to take effect of a minute before death, it will not work because Ain Brera, no retroactive clarification. Here it certainly will work because you're obligating yourself immediately. One detail, the moment of the payment, that's not clarified until later on. That does not, it's not a problem of Ain Brerah. That's what it is. As I said before, the Marsham said, they stopped Shachat Yizachah because they went to court 
to get a full share, and therefore it's a terrible violation of theft and Easter out calls, and therefore the only way to do it is to have a star zocher sholem. You ever heard of it? Star zocher sholem? Yes, the star zocher sholem is found in the Ksosa Chosha. He had such a thing even many, uh, many, many years ago. This is not my invention. Let me give you my history when it comes to this. Forty years ago, I believe it was forty years ago. You can check it up if you want to look at the archives. I wrote something in uh, uh, something called Chavrusa. Chavrusa was a rabbinic alumni publication. I'm not sure if it still comes out. And I wrote it because Rabbi Shech the Shlita told me I have to write it. You have to write this idea of a star uh, of a star chazizacha. In other words, any document which will make your halachic will, your uh, your secular will, halachically binding. And I did. Forty years ago, I wrote a piece in Chavrusa. But you know what? Fifteen years ago, Rabbi Shech came to me again and said, you know what's happening? Even if you do that, it doesn't stop the fights. Because Rabbi Shech already saw that people fight when someone, even if he writes a proper will, and a proper shtar chatzisacha to have the will being enforced la if he doesn't divide it equally, it can cause a terrible fight. So I wrote about it again. I think Chavrusa was by that time uh, not being printed. So I wrote it in something which is called Torah Web. Torah Web is an online, you can get it online, torahweb.org. And I wrote, I brought it with me today. It was in, written, I believe, in Parshas Noah of 2007. And it's entitled, Inheritance Without a Fight, Writing a Will in Modern Times. In Modern Times. Now, you'll say, I'm a traditionalist. Why should I go against the Pesach Mephurish? The Bechar gets Pishnayim, and the, the girls got nothing. The answer is, well, maybe in a theoretical world I would agree to that. But in the practical world, I follow the Gesher Rechaim. Rabbi Shech Tashlit was Muhammad to the Gesher Rechaim. The best way to avoid fights today is that things should be divided equally. Now, what changed? What changed? We don't, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> the idea of a double portion. Remember when my when my mother passed away over 30 years ago. My father said he had to write a new will. I'm a firstborn. He wanted to give me a double share. I said, Abba, please don't give me one penny more than anybody else. I've seen too many fights happen in families. Please divide it equally. He has two sons and two daughters. He listened to my advice, and it was, it was divided exactly equally. What changed? Well, maybe there was a concept of primogeniture. You may have read about in your in your history books. Now it's an anachronism. It doesn't exist anymore. Now, that's a Bechor. <laughs> what happened to the Bechor? You know, we'd say vibrations about, about birth order. A, a disaster. A disaster. Now, as far as daughters, why did the Torah give all the money to the sons and nothing to the daughters? We don't, ours is not the reason why. Uh, we can suggest something. We can suggest something. I once printed something about this back in 1995, referred to here in a footnote, where I suggested, it's just a suggestion on my part, that based on the Gemara Masefta Babakama of Tezvav, that women were not so involved in those days in Maso Mata, they were much more involved in the, in the house, and this is what the Kodesh Baruch would like, that women should be have the ability to raise their families properly without having to be distracted by the marketplace, and therefore the idea would be that the boys get the money from the father's estate, and they will provide for their wives, and the girls will not get from the father's estate, 
and they will therefore seek out husbands in order to be able to be provided for. You know that some of, this is an aside, part of the singles crisis today that everyone talks about is because precisely because women are financially independent. And one of the original impetus for marriage was the woman had no financial independence and she had to get married. Today it's not so. I'm not here to change the world. I'm not, I don't have the ability to change the world and I'm not sure if we'd want to change the world at this point. But it's just a reality. And therefore in today's world, having the daughter's got an equal share is something which should be done even though even though in the Torah it doesn't say that. And as far as the wife getting the money, isn't that against we've spent so much time learning Mesectic Subas. The wife is entitled to this and not entitled to that, etc. She's only entitled to support until she remarries and, and there's certain details, a whole discussion in Evan Ezer. But I said before, nowadays the best thing is the wife should get everything so she should not be dependent upon her children. What happened in the olden days? In the olden days, the presumption was that whatever was left over in the Ksuba and the Mizonos was enough to sustain the wife. Today we have different concepts of what it takes to, to, to live, and therefore I believe strongly that the wife should get everything if the husband dies first, and, and vice versa. And therefore I believe that the will should be written, and we call the Shtar Zohar Sholem. Now, you'll say, it's true that Rabbi Shech Lashtita, who was our, our Rebbe Muvak, said so. What about the outside world? Any other Rabbanim in the, we'll call it the world outside of Yeshiva, have they written about it? The answer is yes and yes. Our very lamented master of halacha, Rav Zalman Nechemya Goldberg, Zeichet Tzadik Levracha, one of the great giants of halacha with whom I had a strong connection for, for, for 30 years. And so much of what he's taught us has been implemented for example, the prenup, not for now, that all came through connection with Rabbi Zalman Nechemer, Zatzal. He wrote something in Tchumen, way back, volume 4 of Tchumen. We're talking about the 1980s, I believe. He already wrote something along these lines that we should introduce this idea of Ishtar Zohar Shalem. And shortly thereafter, the great Rabbi Shlita, Rabbi Feivel Cohen, as we know him as the author of the Bari HaShulchan, he has many volumes, he wrote a little country called Midor Lidor, in which he wrote exactly the same thing. To avoid fights, you should make sure that the will is halakhically implemented by accepting upon yourself a significant obligation. And interestingly, uh, as we write in our document, you have to word it in a fashion which will overcome the problem what we call asmachta, asmachta lokanya. A, contin- a large contingent obligation is invalid by Jewish law. But there are ways around it. And he, in fact, invoked the ways around it in his countries. I remember when I came to a Bible corner about the prenup back in 1992, and I asked him, is it okay? And he said, well, it's not an Asmachta problem because he wrote a whole book on it. That's not an Asmachta problem. It was that Rabbi Yashiv didn't necessarily agree which is for another story. So it can be uh, circumvented, the Asmachta problem. He writes it in the Sefer. If you look in the Sefer called the Pischei Choshen, a multi-volume work by Rav Bloy, Zichron and Levrocha. He also talks about this idea in his Chelek Tess. He has eight pages about it. You have to do it, but is it total uprooting of what the Torah says? No. So they say you should leave something over for your children to be divided exactly as according to what the Torah says. What should you leave over? So one suggests, well, only leave over just your real estate. That's all. 
that's all. I'm speaking from personal experience. When my father Zichron Rachel passed away, I would say 80 plus percent of what he of what he owned was the house. But you know how houses go up. He bought the house very inexpensively in Kew Garden Hills, and by the time he he uh, he passed away, it was worth so much money. So to, to leave the house to be divided according to the Torah, I'd get Pishnayim and the Siska, nothing would be a disaster. So you can't leave that real estate out anymore. What do you leave out? You leave out uh, X, X dollars, a small amount of money, and you know, you're Svarim, Chefze Kodesh. That should be, can be divided as, 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 the, as the Torah says. So there should be something which is divided as the Torah says. That can be placed in the document itself. What can be placed in the will itself? It doesn't have to be in the document. As long as it's in the will, it'll be followed, even if the document is, in fact, uh, filled out. So I have a in the that uh, when Herod got a fight that came out in 2007 in Torah, web, it has the instructions, which I'll go over briefly, and the obligation briefly. I only have another five or six minutes, and then I will tell you the an update. It says that. We may not recognize the validity of a will, and therefore a conditional obligation will work. So you obligate a sum of money greater than his, lo- his total assets. It's retractable, not payable to one minute before death. So no effect during one's lifetime. And if you give it to one person, let's say your wife, pay her much more than you own. Therefore, it's no problem. If it involves many persons, make the obligation to what we call the prime beneficiary. For example, the daughters, the daughters. And it's stipulated if the sons will carry out the, the will, then the obligation is null and void. And it becomes effective when the form is executed, delivered to the beneficiary herself or any other party, a rabbi or a Jewish attorney. What does it say? I hereby obligate myself to blank, sum of blank, effective immediately, not payable till one minute before death, on the condition I don't retract it. All my properties. A security. You stipulate it. We said before, if they will not follow it, then the if they do follow it, then the obligation is null and void. And you have a Kenyan suda, bez and You don't have to do it. Once you say it, did it? So does bal nekamei the dummy overcomes the idea of asmachta, and you say laws of the Torah, Numbers chapter 32. That's called tonight God of Reuven. This is what I had, and for many many years, this is what we had. This is written originally in the 80s. Now it's again in 2007. About 10 years later, one of my Talmudim, who was actually a member of my shul at one point, said, you know what, there's room to be, to fix it up some more. He had a, uh, an addendum. The most important part of the addendum is the very first line. And I read it. I, the undersigned, hereby obligate myself to my wife, period, if she survives me. Or if not, to my daughters who survive me in equal shares. Which means that if a person who wants to make sure that only right now he wants to make sure his wife gets everything. But he doesn't want his wife to have to have problems afterwards. So if, he, if, if, if she survives him, he's saying right now that all the money, if his wife survives him, should go after her, should go to uh, the, the, the daughters. Right? So if the wife gets that she survives, and if she doesn't survive, right now he's saying it goes to my daughters. Why is that relevant? can happen that the wife passes away and the husband is incapacitated. You know, they live until their high 90s. You know, we don't want to live long and healthy. But what happens if he lives long but not healthy? He doesn't, not, he doesn't have the ability to write a new document at that stage in life. I have five minutes. Good. 
I will end on time. Those who know me know I end on time. So, so he writes it now when he's 60. He writes his document that again. I repeat again. I'll get myself to my wife if she survives me. In case the 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 wife lives longer, she gets the money. Or if not, what does that mean? She doesn't survive me. I survive her. So now when I'm 60 and I'm of clear mind, I'm giving the money to my daughters equally. That's a very big chiddush, which we didn't have in our original. I think it's a very important, uh, good thing to be put in. And according to my lawyers, it actually works according to secular law as well. This is what it is. A number of other details are found in this new document, which I'm not going to go into right now. They are pr- fundamentally legalisms to make sure in cases there shouldn't be a kanunya with some heirs and other heirs. Arab Bible Cohen is a really complicated way to get out of that problem. But I believe as follows. I'll, I'll end with this. Really, what's going to govern at the end of the day is the secular will. That's what's going to govern. And that's what you have to write exactly what you want. You have to write, you want to give it to your, your wife, all of it. And if at the end, if, if you can write it in the secular will also. In the case she passes before you, you're saying right now it should go to my all my children equally, sons, daughters, all my children equally. She even put in Khalid of child predeceases that it should go to their children as the equal share that their parent would have gotten had they been alive. All this can be put into a into a will, should be put into the will again with the exception of Yasfarim, things of this nation which should be divided according to the Dinah Torah. That's what's gonna govern. And the way around it is fascinating. There's one knech, a twist, which writes over here in this new document, there's no consideration. All right, no consideration. What you've done is you've made it ineffective in secular law. Because in secular law, you cannot obligate yourself with no consideration. They want the document to be good in Jewish law and and not good in secular law for tax reasons. So one of the Mahona Raw writes, you write at the bottom, this is not going to be good if it's taken to a secular court. That's a very flaky thing to write. Much better we write over here. There's no consideration. If you write there's no consideration, automatically by American law, it will have no effect on the taxes, etc., etc. And therefore, everyone should live a very long life and write a will now. And by the way, if you include Yeshiva University or reach in your will, that will be a very good way to conclude our Shia. Thank you for listening.